invite you to turn with me in your scriptures to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 24. I'm going to read the entire chapter. chapter 24, beginning to read at verse 1. Hear the word of God with me. Now, after five days, Ananias, the high priest, came down with the elders and a certain orator named Tertullus. These gave evidence to the governor against Paul. And when he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusation, saying, Seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight, we pray it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear by your courtesy a few words from us. For we have found this man a plague. That was Paul then. For we have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, and we seized him, and we wanted to judge him according to our law. But the commander Lysias came by, and with great violence took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him, And the Jews also assented, maintaining that these things were so. Then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself, because you may ascertain that it is no more than twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone, nor inciting the crowd either in the synagogue or in the city, nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which, in which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation, in the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor with tumult. They ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me, or else let those who are here themselves say if they found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council, unless it is for this one statement which I cried out standing among them concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day." But when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings and said, When Lysias the commander comes down, I will make a decision on your case. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty, and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. And now follows the words of our text. After some days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, He sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away, for now, when I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Thus far the words of our text. Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul, that he might release him. 
Therefore he sent for him more often and conversed with him. But after two years, Portius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. Let me read the text again, beginning to read verse 24. After some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid, and he answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May God once again add his blessing to the hearing, the reading, and the preaching of his word. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ gathered here in Bowmanville with me this afternoon. One of the most frustrating and disappointing elements in the work of ministry is that it so often seems that people are willing to be taught the truths of the Bible, but they resist and resent it when attempts are made by the church to apply those biblical truths to the lives and hearts of the members. I remember well an incident years ago when I had been asked by a neighboring vacant church to teach their pre-confession class. It was a large class, about 22 students. And all season, we diligently worked together to prepare these young men and women to making a responsible, knowledgeable, and a sincere confession of their faith. But during the course of that year, near the end of the year, I came to learn of a graduation party planned by these young people. And because of some of the rumors I had heard, I determined to go and see for myself. I waited until late in the evening. That's when the young people begin. I waited until late in the evening, and then I walked into the barn where the party was being held, and I was heartbroken by some of the immoral behavior I observed there by the young people, most of my catechumens, I believe all of my catechumens among them. I did not challenge them at the time. I just walked among the young people, made certain that they saw me, and then with a heavy heart, I went home. The following Wednesday was catechism, and I took the opportunity to severely rebuke the class. All of them had attended, and I, had ex- and I explained to them that of the conflict between their proposed confession of faith and their immoral conduct at that party. And with gratitude to God, with the exception of one, all of them hung their heads in shame, confessed their sin, and I helped them to work that through and work that out. One young man, however, became quite belligerent, and he argued that I was simply a Bible teacher, and I was not even their Bible teacher, I was a guest, and it was my job to convey biblical information, but it was not my business to try to apply those biblical principles to his life. I resisted his argument, and he left the class in anger. When he did not show up again the following week, I learned that his parents agreed with his philosophy and they would no longer allow him to sit under my teaching. I praise God for the faithful elders who admonished the parents and the young man and eventually they all repented and he returned to my class. However, that's not an isolated incident. Somehow, church members believe that how they live It's really not the business of the elders or the minister, and yet Paul charges Titus, a minister, that he must hold firm to the sure word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and confute those who are in error. But many, many otherwise faithful church members, although open to instruction from the Bible, are not open to correction from the Bible, and they resent and resist the church, 
taking that word and applying it to their life and to their lifestyle. And yet, and yet properly understood, that phenomenon ought not to surprise us. You see, natural men and women love to hear how they may die in Christ, but men and women who have not experienced the saving grace of Christ in rebirth refuse to be told how they are to live in Christ. In other words, unregenerate men and women love to hear of God's grace, and they will pack the houses of worship to hear of this loving God. But when they're also told of their guilt before God, when they're told that their only way to receiving this God is through faith, repentance, and conversion, then they become angry. They will tell you to mind your own business. They will argue that the church makes way too many demands upon them. And finally, just as with the crowds of Jesus' day, they will leave him and they will follow no more. And to prevent that exodus out of the churches, preachers today are subtly changing the message of scripture and men and women are given false hope. In order to bolster the membership roles and keep up the numbers, church members are now allowed to believe that they can have Christ as savior of their souls, but they don't have to submit their hearts and lives to him. And the consequence of that shift in contemporary Christianity is tragic, devastating, and eternal. That modern-day crisis was brought home to me in a concrete fashion when quite some time ago I had opportunity to watch a television program entitled Ask the Preacher. Maybe some of you have seen it. A caller called in and asked, what did Jesus think about homosexuality? A local pastor answered with, with Jesus was not concerned about that and neither should we be. Sounds like, sounds like our current pope, doesn't it? Jesus, he said, Jesus, well, no, Jesus was concerned that we love one another and not criticize one another. We are to love one another because love is the fulfillment of the law. I shuddered as I heard that answer and I was greatly disappointed that no one turned to scripture for the right answer. No one called in to correct. No one on the panel objected. The word of God is simply being received for information in the religious climate of today. Obviously then it is of the utmost urgency that those of us who are called to preach and those of you who are called to hear would search the scriptures to know how and what must be preached. And our text of this afternoon leads us into that way. I want to minister God's word this afternoon using as my theme, the word demands a response. The word demands a response. We will see Felix hearing the word. We will then see Felix trembling before the word. And then we want to shudder as we see Felix's response to the word. So the word demands a response. Felix hears the word, he trembles before the word, and he responds to the word. You know the story. We just read it again together. Paul was imprisoned. The charge against him had been were threefold. He supposedly caused insurrection among the Jews. He was said to be a ringleader of that sect of the Nazarenes. And thirdly, he stood accused of being determined to profane the temple. And now while waiting trial on those trumped up charges, Paul was under house arrest when suddenly and without warning, he's invited to preach. The Roman governor Felix invites Paul to lead a worship service in the palace before him and his wife Drusilla. Now Felix was a cruel man. Despite his lack of education and training, he had secured a high political position in Rome, but he had, he had literally bought his job. 
He had padded the pockets of those who made the appointments and he had become governor by bribing the officials. However, once in power, he had astonished even Rome by proving to be a cruel, vicious, murderous brute. And several times Rome had threatened to depose him because of his harsh and unorthodox treatment of the Jews, but by craft and cunning and bribery, at the time of our text, he still sat on the governor's throne. Felix, at this time, was approximately in his mid-60s, while Drusilla, his third wife, was a young girl, probably under the age of 20. Drusilla was the granddaughter of Herod, and although a Jewess, in spite of having had some religious sensitivity, she also led a wicked and a godless life. She had earlier broken off an engagement because her fiancé refused to be circumcised. When he would not go along with the demands of her religion, she refused to marry him. So apparently it would seem that at one time her religion was important to her. However, shortly after abandoning that man, she married a godly, a godless king of northern Syria. And then being unhappy also in that relationship, with the help of Simon the sorcerer, she was persuaded to leave her husband and to marry Felix, a man old enough to be her grandfather. You will remember that King Herod, Drusilla's grandfather, was also curious to hear the preaching. You remember the story of him and John the Baptist, and it seems that Drusilla had inherited some of her grandfather's curiosity. She and, Spirit, she and Felix decided that Paul would be invited to preach to them, and Paul accepted the challenge. His decision tells us much about Paul's courage. Paul knew their wicked hearts, he knew of their ungodly lifestyle and their ungodly ancestry. I think it would be safe to assume that Paul even had reservations about the real motives behind this invitation. I think it even safe to say, had to assume that Paul may have even wondered about casting pearls before the swine. And yet he would go and he would preach in that den of iniquity. And with unflinching courage, we see him through the eyes of our faith. We see him marching to the palace. Paul knew that it was not beyond the scope of God's sovereign power to save even such godless people as Felix and Drusilla. And so he went. He went to preach. And as we now come to the actual sermon preached there in the palace, we read that Paul reasoned with Felix and Drusilla from the scriptures. In fact, we were given the title and the three points of his sermon. Verse 24 tells us that his theme was concerning faith in Christ. And in verse 25, we read that his points were righteousness, self-control, and the judgment that was to come. And Paul begins to preach. And he begins by expounding upon the first point, righteousness. You know what that means, sinlessness. It was a point most appropriate for Felix, who although called to be a righteous judge himself, was in fact a corrupt and an unjust judge. And we could almost hear Paul reasoning with Felix as he explained his first point. God is a righteous God. He is just, Felix. He created us righteous and just, and he demands of us, despite our fallen Adam, to be righteous and just. Are you righteous, Felix? Are you not, in fact, crooked and perverse, Felix? Look at your feet, Felix. Are they not swift to run after a bribe? Look at your hands, Felix. Are they not quick to shed innocent blood? Look at your life, Felix. Is it not filled with cruelty, injustice, and unrighteousness? Look at your heart, Felix. Is it not full of unrighteousness, Felix? 
Felix, you must become right before God. And there is a way, Felix. It is impossible with man, but it is possible with God. There is a way of salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, who has paid the price for unrighteous people such as yourself, Felix. And he did this, Felix, in order to satisfy God's justice as a substitute for unrighteous sinners in order that they might know his righteousness. Felix, 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 how do you stand before this righteous God? Tell me, Felix, do you want his righteousness, sir? His sermon continues. Now the second point, self-control. Again, how appropriate. Self-control means to be able to control one's own passions or emotions. It means especially to control sinful passions. And now the sword becomes ever sharper, more, appoint, more pointed and personally painful for Felix. It begins to prick his conscience. We can almost hear Paul's sermon, God demands self-control, Felix. Are you not an adulterer, Felix? Is not that young woman beside you, is she not an adulteress? Are you not giving free rein to the sinful desires of your flesh in an adulterous relationship, Felix? God requires that you control those sinful desires, Felix. God demands that you control your sinful greed, your sinful temper. And God demands that you curb your sinful lust, Felix. God demands that you will not marry whoever you want. How will you stand before this pure and holy God when you are impure, profane, and unholy? We can imagine Felix becoming ever more uncomfortable. But Paul is not yet done. Now he comes to his third point, judgment. Paul comes to the climax of his sermon. He moves logically and systematically from righteousness and self-control to judgment. Felix, you're guilty of being unrighteous. You're guilty of failing to exercise self-control. Felix, you are guilty of not having the righteousness of Christ. You are unrighteous in your daily life, Felix. You have not bridled your sinful flesh. You have, you have given in to your sinful anger, your greed, your hunger for power, and your lust of the flesh. You are guilty of all these things, Felix, and God's judgment stands at your door, crouching as a wild animal, waiting to consume you. The righteous judge stands at your door, Felix. Every one of your sins will be exposed. Nothing will be hidden from him. The entire book of your entire life shall be open before him, Felix. He will judge you, and it's an eternal judgment, Felix. Oh, you may have convinced yourself that God will overlook your sin, Felix, but this great judge, he takes no bribes, and you will give an account of your life. His sentence will be executed, and if you do not repent for your misspent life, your future will be an everlasting condemnation. Hell is a real place, Felix. It's a place where people are ever dying yet never dead, where they are ever being burned and yet never burned up. Hell is a place where the wrath of God is poured out without interruption. How will you stand, Felix? The righteousness of Jesus Christ is your only hope, Felix. People got faithful preaching tells of God's great forgiving grace. But as we heard this morning, the word of the Lord is a double-edged sharp sword, and at times preaching, if it is faithful preaching, can also be very painful. Sometimes faithful preaching is not the kind of preaching we like to hear. By nature, we resent it. It offends us. It angers us. 
it, it, it would have troubled Felix as well, and yet Paul continues. His preaching strikes Felix right between the eyes, and he drives the sword of the Lord into the heart of Felix up to the very hilt. He has no compassion in that sense, for he knows that compassion or compromise is unfaithful to the word and dangerous for the soul he's trying to rescue. To ignore the sin of Felix is to lose his very soul, and out of a love and a burden for the eternal salvation of Felix, Paul exposes his sin. Wounds must be exposed before the healing balm of God can be applied. Will Felix allow God to bind his wounds? And now here Felix is compelled to listen as the word of God makes application to his own life and situation and it would have been extremely painful for him. The preacher explained and applied the word of the Lord to Felix and it thundered in his ears. You are unrighteous, Felix. You are impure, Felix, and the judgment is sure to come upon you, Felix. You are guilty of these offenses, Felix, before the Lord. There can be no doubt that Felix was under the powerful influence of the preached word of God. Congregation, think carefully with me for a moment. Paul earnestly strived for the salvation of the very souls of Felix and Drusilla. He warned them of the wrath of God if they were not reconciled to God. He listed their sinful conduct and he told them that eternal condemnation was sure to come if they persisted in their evil, godless conduct. His heart burned for their salvation and Paul fearlessly and urgently wrestled with Satan for the very salvation of the souls of Felix and Drusilla. And I suggest to you that such preaching is hardly found nor hardly tolerated among contemporary Christianity. Imagine, if you will, for a moment, a vacant church somewhere searching for a pastor. And I'm not referring to this church. But imagine a church someplace vacant in the search for a pastor. And, and, and they have formed a search committee and they had advertised in the church papers inviting applications for the position. Imagine now that Paul would have applied and correctly the committee would ask for a, a tape of his sermon. And imagine further now that they would have received this sermon of Paul preaching before Felix and Drusilla. Imagine now the committee evaluating that sermon. How do you think they would respond? Would they recognize Paul pleading for this very man's soul? Would they hear a man burning with a desire to rescue fallen men and women from the clutches of Satan and hell? Or would they say, hmm, too cold, too critical, too harsh, too much grace, no joy? I would suggest to you he would not be presented for call to the congregation. I would suggest the committee would continue their search looking for a man less abrasive, less confrontational, more welcoming. But, but, but my dear people of God, the sermon as it was, was intended to inflict a wound. But the foolish hearer, when he felt the pain, rather than seeking absolution, hardened his heart. 
He interrupted the sermon. He lost the opportunity of the grace offered to penitent souls. Felix, Felix wanted to play games with the preaching, but for Paul it was a work of the utmost urgency. Felix wanted to amuse himself for an hour. Paul wrestled to save a soul from hell. The preacher and the hearer, they were at cross purposes. The preaching had created the necessary crucial climax. The hour of decision, if you will, had come. There would be no escape. Felix now was set before a decision that would have eternal consequences. Either apply the word to his life and repent and live, or ignore the application and thereby refuse the gospel. We can almost imagine Paul holding his breath in anticipation of the response to the gospel. Our text reads, Felix heard and was afraid. Rightly so. Other translations read that Felix trembled because he was afraid. Imagine that. He physically trembled upon hearing the word of God. He stood before eternity. The sermon placed him before God as judge. Paul had exposed his sinful conduct. Paul had pointed out his bribery, his greed, his anger, his adultery. Felix was now standing with an exposed conscience before a righteous judge, and he was asked his response, which would determine his eternity. Everything, everything hung in the balance here. What would it be now? Would it be weal or woe? His conscience was speaking to him, Felix, repent, 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 Felix, Felix, repent. Having been brought to the brink of eternity, Felix had one more opportunity to bow before the Lord. At first, he sat there restless, trembling. We can almost envision him shifting in his pew, shuffling his feet, wrestling with the emotions stirring in his heart. It was all so true about him. And he trembled. Each of the three points of Paul's sermon condemned him. And the Lord in grace and in love gives him opportunity to beg for mercy one more time. Jesus of Nazareth had been set before him. Would he cry out, oh Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner? No, he would not. Paul preached. The Holy Spirit was active. Felix trembled. That's the power of the word of God. But alas, Felix would harden his heart and he would be in a more perilous condition than he was before he heard the sermon. We hear his response. Felix says to Paul, no, more correctly, Felix says to God, go away. When I have more time, I will send for you again. People of God, now tremble with me. Felix wasn't sending Paul away. He rejected and sent away the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was only an ambassador who came in the name and in the place of Christ. The same is still true for every faithful preacher. He is sent by Christ. He comes in the name of Christ and he speaks the words of Christ himself after him. And to reject the admonition of your minister is to reject and to send away the Lord himself. We need to understand that. Felix was deceiving himself. Tomorrow, tomorrow when I have more time, I believe it was Martin Luther, maybe someone will correct me, but I believe it was Martin Luther who wrote that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. The whole story climaxes in the last verse of the chapter when you read that Felix binds Paul with ropes or chains and then leaves for Rome 
Oh, he had heard the word. He had trembled before the word. Obviously, it did, it did not wound his soul as Paul had hoped and intended, but rather it offended his human pride. Who do you think you are, Paul, talking to me like that? I don't have to take that from you. I'm the governor. The preaching of the word angered him, and ultimately he hardened his heart. The word of God was preached to Felix, and two options were open to him, and only two. He could fall on his knees, confess his sin, and ask, what must I do to be saved? Had he done so, he would have received Christ and all of his benefits, including the things he so desperately lacked, righteousness and sanctification. He would also have received the gifts of the Holy Spirit, including self-control. He would have received the crown of righteousness for all eternity. The other option was to harden his heart, send the messenger away. He chose the latter. He would continue on his own chosen road to destruction. And there now is the warning message for us today. According to the scriptures, God's word hardens or softens. It exposes our sinful self in order that God's healing salve can be applied in reconciliation. When preaching or preachers refuse to expose the wounds of sin, then grace becomes impossible and unnecessary. There can be no grace without sin. If there is no sin, there is no need of grace. When sin is preached, but the masses refuse to hear of their sin, then grace is absent, but it is withheld, not by the preacher, but by God, because of the hearts of unbelief in the congregation. People of God, what now is your posture over against the preached word of God? Your answer to that question determines your posture towards God himself. When God's word points out your sin, do you then feel the pain when you see that you are guilty? Praise God then, for that already is a great gift of God's mercy and grace towards you. The first working of the Holy Spirit in the heart of a child of God is to convince him of sin and to cause him to sorrow over it. That's a great grace of a merciful, loving God. When wounds are exposed, then there is every, every hope for you. If preaching lacks the necessary power to touch your heart, if the preaching does not cause you to tremble and to weep over your sin, then the word is not being brought in all of its fullness. You will not find God's grace in such preaching, for you will not find God in such preaching. And then the safest thing for you to do is to gather up your children and go and find a church where the word is being faithfully preached from Sunday to Sunday. But note carefully, when the word of God is being brought in all of its fullness, and it no longer pains you, or if you make conscious decisions to remove yourself from such preaching for illegitimate reasons, then there is a hardening of heart on your part, and God's grace then passes you by. It's not being denied you, it is being rejected by you. You then imitate Felix, who interrupted the sermon, turned himself off, and away from the grace of God. But, 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 when in grace... God's holy word wounds you and causes you to tremble, then praise God and make no delay 
haste to the Savior because again he has shown you the way. Run then as fast as your legs can carry you. Run to the cross. Run to your Savior and experience his indescribable saving grace in spite of your overwhelming sin and see then, see then the cross rising over you and experience then his pardoning grace through the bloodshed on Golgotha. May that be the experience of us all and our children. Shall we pray? Come to the Savior now he gently calleth thee. In true repentance bow before him, bend the knee. He waiteth to bestow salvation, peace and love, true joy on earth below and a home in heaven above. Come to the Savior now. He offers all to thee and in his merits thou hast an unfailing plea. No vain excuses frame, for feelings do not stay. None who to Jesus came were ever.